has been faithful. Why don't you turn to that person beside you? I know Pastor Nick already had you do this. Give them a meaningful hug. A hug like this was going to be your last time to hug them. Praise God. And while you're standing, would you just put your hand on the back of that person beside you and let's pray one for another and ask God to help us to receive the word that he has tonight. Let's pray. Lord, we come to you with hearts that are thankful right now. Thanking you again for the opportunity to gather ourselves in this place, gathered in your name with your people. Tonight, Lord, we pray that you'd give us an ear to hear what your spirit would say to the church. Pray you'd help me bring this to your people. I want you to be exalted, Lord, in everything. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. God bless you as you're seated. Everybody have one of these little papers. Same thing as it was last week and the same thing as it was the first week prior to that. If you didn't get one of these, wave your hand. Brother Jimmy's got some. He's moving around. He'll bring you one. And so make sure you grab one. And today I'm going to talk to you. There's some over here too, Brother Maddox, on the, in zone one. I'm going to talk to you for the next few minutes again on these seven words that define the culture of First Pentecostal Church, or as we call it, FPC. And I, feel, I felt strongly to do this for the month of May, and we zeroed in on it. We started the first Wednesday night of May. We talked about these things, zeroed in on these words, and God has given us these words to kind of guide us to establish our culture and... Uh, we have new ones that have been coming in and have come in. And I just want to make sure that all of us are on the same, same page, that our minds are in alignment on this. These seven words. What is culture? The word culture just simply is the attitude and behavior characteristics of a particular social group. That is culture. And there is... There's power in having an appropriate culture. If we're all just connected and in, in, in alignment with these things that God would have us to be in alignment with, there's, there's power to that. There is power, obviously, in unity. But culture is the attitude and the behavior characteristics of a particular group or a particular social group. Our culture, at First Pentecostal Church, our culture is established by Scripture. Every one of these words, we have scriptural principles to stand on. These seven words, they're right there on your handout. Love, live, serve, achieve, reach, teach, entrench. We love God. We love people. We live our faith, not just talk our faith. We serve God by serving others. And then the achieve word is just simply that we want to achieve the Acts 1 verse 8 mission and vision that Jesus gave his disciples. You shall receive power. After that, the Holy Ghost has come upon you, and you shall be witnesses unto me, both in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and unto the uttermost part of the earth. We believe that it's God's will, that we be a local, regional, national, and international hub of apostolic revival. It's, it, see... My, my favorite author, I started to say C.S. Lewis, but it's A.W. Tozer that made the statement that if a church is removed from a community, there should be a vacuum that is left 
The sad truth of the matter is, is there are churches that are closing on a regular basis and people are not even noticing they close. But we don't want to be that way here. If, there is, if this church, if FPC was removed from this community, there would be a gaping hole. Because God's established us here to be an influencer, to be a difference maker in our community. Acts 1.8, we bought into this vision. God wants us to be a local, a local, regional, national, international, apostolic church. And then reach, teach, and entrench. These three words go along with achieve. They're relatively new. We adopted these back last July. And it's in connection with Project 500. Every Sunday morning when Brother Marshall gets up and gives us a report from the evangelism efforts that have taken place over the past week, you see that Project 500 on the screen and over in the corner are these three words with the church logo of reach, teach, and entrench. We are, those, those words just simply means that we evangelize, we disciple, and we establish. So here's a recap of our words. We spent the first week on love, second week on live. Tonight's going to be focused on serve. And then next Wednesday night, we're going to connect achieve and then the words from Project 500. But a recap of our words, love. Everybody say love. I hope you love the person you're sitting by. Have you settled that? Do you love them? Do you love them? All right. Love. Love. Matthew chapter 22, verse 36. These are the words from Jesus himself. When the lawyer came to him and he said, Master, which is the great commandment in the law? Jesus said unto him, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, and with all thy mind. Everything about you needs to love God. David said in Psalm 103, Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless his holy name. Love the Lord with all your heart, soul, and mind. This is the first and great commandment, and the second is like unto it. If we should love the Lord with all of our heart, soul, and mind, then with our heart, with our mind, with our soul, let's love our neighbor as, thy, as ourselves. Jesus said that second is like unto it, thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. On these two commandments hang all the law and prophets. That's how important it was, Jesus said, that the entirety of the Old Testament is summed up in these two commandments. And then somebody goes along and wants to question it. You know, there were those type people even in Jesus' day. I, I had a conversation today. I believe that yes and no are perfectly good answers to questions. And so, Pastor Nick, do y'all know Pastor Nick? So he, I, I was talking about, you know, I asked I ask my wife a question or asked some other female. I don't want to be sexist in it, but you ask another female a question that a yes or a no would be a perfectly sufficient answer. Baby, do we need to do this? Well, we should have been doing that a couple of weeks ago. The answer I wanted was yes. I got a commentary. Y'all know what I'm talking about? You ask, you want a yes or no answer, you get a commentary. You ask for a perfectly perfect, either a three-letter answer or a two-letter answer, and you get a book. And Pastor Nick looked at me and said, you just, you still haven't learned how to deal with women? <laughs> I was paraphrasing what he said. 
But Jesus summed it up. It's as clear, it's as succinct as that. And I love it. He summed up the entirety of the Old Testament, the Law and the Prophets, by saying, love the Lord with all your heart, soul, and mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. On these two hang all the Law and Prophets. And then here comes somebody wanting to get a little more detail and said, Lord, who is our neighbor? Jesus didn't say, well, the person that lives next door to you, or the person across the street, or the person down the block. He told a story. He told a story about the the, the man that had been beaten up and left, to lay, left laying for dead on the highway and how the priest passed him by, the Levite passed him by, but the Samaritan took care of him. And the story of it was not about who we're picking and choosing to be our neighbor. The story is what kind of person we are. It had nothing to do with zeroing in on who is my neighbor. It has to do with us being neighborly. With us being the one that says, if I see a need, I'll meet the need. If I see someone hurting, I will heal their hurt. If I see somebody that, that needs help, I will be that help. Somebody give me an amen. amen. And then Jesus said in talking about love, he gave a new commandment. That last night, right before he was taken and crucified in John 13, 34, Jesus said, a new commandment I give unto you that ye love one another and this is how he said, do it, as I have loved you. Now, if we're going to be believers, if we're going to be disciples, if we're going to name the name of Christ over our life, then we have to hold ourselves accountable to this word that he gave. Because it's easy to love somebody that's easy to love. But sometimes you just have to suck it up and, and just love, even if they are hateful. Somebody help me tonight. Even if they are absolutely ornery, Jesus said, this is how you're to love. You don't love based on how they act. You, you love based on how I loved you. And then he says, by this shall all men know that you are my disciples. If you have love one to another. We're not doing this for ourselves. We're not doing it for others. We're doing all of this for the glory of God. And there's a big difference between doing something for people and doing something for God. God always deserves our best effort. People are going to disappoint us. People will betray us. People will neglect us. They'll mistreat us. They'll wear us out. They'll do stupid things and we want to just punch them in the face. I'm sorry I said that. But some, some will take what we give and offer nothing in return. And from our human perspective, we feel like that they deserve a minimal effort at best. And so we're not motivated by their actions. We're motivated by the fact that we're doing this for the glory of God. And so what motivates us is that we want to be like him. And we love him. And Paul said in Colossians 3.23, Whatsoever you do, do it heartily as unto the Lord and not unto men. Knowing that of the Lord you shall receive the reward of the inheritance for ye serve the Lord Christ. Live. Everybody say live. We love, we live, we live our faith. It's true. We profess our faith. We confess our faith. We make a declaration 
With our mouth, we make our declaration, but faith is more than a statement. It's more than just an assent. It's something that we live. It's more than principles that we agree with. It's our purpose for life. James said it in James chapter 2, and I'm going to read these scriptures quickly. It's a long discourse, but in James chapter 2, verse 14, James says, What does it profit, my brethren, though a man say he hath faith and hath not works? Can faith save him? If a brother or sister be naked or destitute of daily food, and one of you say unto him, Depart in peace, be ye warmed and filled, notwithstanding ye give them not those things which are needful to the body, what doth it profit? Even so, faith, if it hath not works, is dead, being alone. I used a scripture last Wednesday night, and somebody sent me a, a meme, a picture, a screenshot. Of, uh, it might have been on social media. But it showed a guy drowning and his hand reaching up out of the water. He's already submerged. And there's a believer on the bank that reaches down and says, I will pray for you. He's dead. He drowned. Faith is accomplished by works. If a man say he has faith and Verse 18, yea, a man may say, thou hast faith and I have works. Show me thy faith without thy works and I will shew thee my faith by my works. Thou believest that there is one God, thou doest well. The devils also believe and tremble. But wilt thou know, O vain man, that faith without works is dead? Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered Isaac his son upon the altar? Seest thou how faith wrought with his works, and by works was faith made perfect. And the scripture was fulfilled, which saith, Abraham believed God, and it was imputed unto him for righteousness, and he was called the friend of God. You see then how that by works a man is justified, and not by faith only. Likewise also was not Rahab the harlot justified by works, when she received the messengers and sent them out another way. For as the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without works is dead also. And we understand that we don't attend church. We are the church. We don't go to church. The church is wherever we go. Right? Do y'all believe that? So we need to stop saying I go to church because we are the church. And wherever we go, that's where the church is. Today we're going to look at this word, serve. So these three basic words that we've been looking at for 13 years almost, love, live, serve. I want to start here on the word serve. It's in the book of Mark chapter 35. You know, we read the scripture and, and the apostles, those, those people that we look up to in the word of God, y'all know they were just like we are. Did y'all know that? I mean, they were just like us. In John, or Mark chapter 10, verse 35, James and John, these are the sons of Zebedee, the sons of thunder, came unto him and said, Master, we would that thou shouldest do for us whatsoever we desire. These two brothers came up to Jesus and said, Lord, we want to ask you to do us a favor. And he said, well, what do you want? What do you want that I should do for you? And they said unto him, grant us that we may sit one on thy right hand and the other on thy left hand, in thy glory. So Jesus said unto them, You know not what ye ask. Can you drink of the cup that I drink of and be baptized 
with the baptism that I'm baptized with. And they said unto him, we can. They were committed. And Jesus said unto them, you shall indeed drink of the cup that I drink of. And with the baptism that I'm baptized with all shall ye be baptized. But to sit on my right hand and on my left hand is not mine to give, but it shall be given to them for whom it is prepared. So the rest of the guys heard it. That's, that's verse 41. When the ten heard it, they were very upset with James and John. I mean, they, they were much displeased is how the Bible says. That just simply means they were very upset. I can't believe they're asking that. I can't believe they're acting that way. Who do they think they are? They were bobbing their heads like T.D. Jakes. I mean, they were, who, who do they think they are? Jesus called them to him and said unto them, You know that they which are accounted to rule over the Gentiles exercise lordship over them, and their great ones exercise authority upon them. But so shall it not be among you. But whosoever will be great among you shall be your minister, and whosoever of you will be the chiefest shall be the servant of all. For even the Son of Man came not to be ministered unto, but to minister and give his life a ransom for many. This is a vital kingdom principle. Turn around and ask your neighbor, are you getting this? This is a vital kingdom principle. Let's break it down for a couple of minutes. In verse 42, Jesus called them, all of them, to him. Not just James and John, but the entire group. And he said to them, you know that they which are accounted to rule over the Gentiles exercise lordship over them, and their great ones exercise authority upon them. But this is not how we operate in the kingdom. It shall not be that way among you. For whosoever will be great among you shall be your minister, and whosoever of you will be the chiefest shall be the servant of all. He looked at them and he said, I want y'all to get this. You are different than the world you live in. Your guiding principles are not like the world that you're living in. The Gentiles exercise lordship. The Gentiles flaunt their authority. The Amplified Bible reads his statement this way. You know that those who are recognized as rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them and their powerful men exercise authority over them, tyrannizing them. But Then he says, but this is not how it is among you. Instead, whoever wishes to become great among you must be your servant. And then he uses himself, himself as the example. He said in verse 45, For even the Son of Man came not to be ministered unto, but to minister and to give his life a ransom for many. He said, I did not come to be served. I came to serve. And I came to give my life a ransom for many. That's the first point that I want you to look at with me. Point number one, he came. Everybody say he came. He came to us. He came for us. He came and by coming he became. He became something that he had not been. In 2 Corinthians 5, 18, Paul writes to us and says, And all things are of God, who hath reconciled us to himself by Jesus Christ, and hath given unto us the ministry of reconciliation. 
to wit that God was in Christ, reconciling the world unto himself, and hath committed unto us the word of reconciliation. Now then we are ambassadors for Christ, as though, though God did beseech you by us, we pray you in Christ's stead, be ye reconciled to God. But notice this, for he hath made him to be sin for us who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. He took on our nature. And as Peter said in 2 Peter chapter 1, so that we can have that divine nature. Aren't you, aren't you glad that he became so that you could become? Are y'all awake? Aren't you thankful that he became so that you could become? He didn't come just for a select group either. And he didn't come and die just for the elect. The saints of God are called the elect, but he didn't die just for the elect. He died for the atheist. He died for the agnostic. He died for the Buddhist. He died for the, the Hindu. He died for that one that spits in his face. He died for that Roman soldier that was humiliating him and mocking him. He died for the Jews that turned against him. He died for all humanity. He died for us. Not a single one of us deserved the king of glory to step in our place and die for us. But Paul said in Romans chapter 5, in verse 6, he said, For when we were without strength, in due time Christ died for the ungodly. For scarcely for a righteous man will one die, yet peradventure for a good man some would even dare to die. But God commendeth his love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. There's some good people in your life that you would go out of your way. You would sacrifice yourself to help them. You would sacrifice yourself to donate organs if you knew it was going to save the life of somebody close to you. And Jesus didn't look at it from that perspective. He just simply died for everybody whether they acknowledged him or not. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Much more than being now justified by his blood, we shall be saved from wrath through him. For if when we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more being reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. And not only so, but we also joy in God through our Lord Jesus Christ by whom we have received the atonement. He came. Everybody say, He came. He came to serve. He came to give His life. But not only did He come to give His life, He came to show us how to live our life. In John 13, verse 1. Now before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour was come, and these notes I think are on the app, are they, Nicole? The notes will be on the app right after service is over. But he came to give us life, and he came to show us how to live our life. John 13, 1. When the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour was come, that he should depart out of this world unto the Father, Having loved his own which were in the world, he loved them unto the end. And supper being ended, the devil having now put into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him, 
And Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hand, and he was come from God and went to God, he riseth up from supper, and he laid aside his garments, and he took a towel, and he girded himself. And after he poureth water into a basin, he began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe with the towel wherein he was girded. He comes to Simon Peter, and Peter said unto him, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? Jesus answered and said, what I do, you really don't understand, Peter, but you will later. And Peter said to him, Lord, you can't wash my feet. You're too good to wash my feet. Thou shalt never wash my feet. This is beneath you to wash my feet. And Jesus answered him, if I wash you not, you have no part with me. And Simon said unto him, Lord, not my feet only, but also my hands and my head. And Jesus said to him, He that is washed needeth not to save, not save to wash, but to wash his feet, but is clean every whit. And you're clean, but not all. For he knew who should betray him. Therefore he said, You're not all clean. So after he had washed their feet and he had taken his garments and was set down again, he said to them, Know you what I have done to you. You call me Master and Lord, and you say, Well, for so I am. If I then, your Lord and Master, have washed your feet, ye also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you should do as I have done to you. Verily, verily, I say unto you, the servant is not greater than his Lord, neither he that is sent greater than he that sent him. The lesson was not that we need to have foot washings all the time. That's not the lesson. The lesson was... We've got to have the mindset of a servant all the time. We've got to have the mindset that if the Lord humbled himself to wash his disciples' feet, I should humble myself to serve those that are around me. Paul, Paul tells us that in Philippians chapter 2. Look at this passage, Philippians chapter 2 verse 1. He said, if there be therefore any consolation in Christ, any comfort of love, any fellowship of the Spirit, any bowels and mercies, fulfill ye, fulfill ye my joy that ye be like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord of one mind. I want you to notice these words. Let nothing be done through strife or vain glory. Nothing be done. In the church, don't let anything be done through strife and vain glory. But in lowliness of mind, let each esteem other better than themselves. Look not every man on his own things, but every man also on the things of others. And let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, and took upon him the form of a servant, and was made in the likeness of men. And being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. And in connecting with that, Peter said, first, in 1 Peter chapter 2, Peter told us that Christ is our example, that we should follow his steps. So our, our, our goal is to be as Jesus. He was unselfish. Everybody say he was unselfish. And he loved without expectation of reciprocation. He loved without an expectation of being loved back. And then 
it stands out that the king of kings became a servant. Our mandate, our mandate is given to us in Ephesians chapter 5 verse 14. And let's look at this. Paul says, wherefore he saith, awake thou that sleepest and arise from the dead and Christ shall give thee light. I want you to look closely. He's going to give us a list of things here. See then that you walk circumspectly, not as fools, but as wise, redeeming the time because the days are evil. Wherefore, be not unwise, but understanding what the will of the Lord is, and be not drunk with wine wherein is excess, but be filled with the Spirit, speaking to yourselves in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord, giving thanks always for all things unto God and the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. And then notice this, submitting yourselves one to another in the fear of God. Paul gave us this list of right living for evil times. How many of you would agree with me that we're living in evil times? Jesus knew it was coming. The apostles knew it was coming. The Word of God gives us all that we need to be able to live the way that we should live, no matter how evil the times get. So right living for evil times is starting back where we started with this list that I just read to you. I'm not going to reread it. But right living for evil times starts with manifesting godly wisdom. The only way we're going to manifest godly... You know, you, there is no place on Facebook that says, click here and you'll manifest godly wisdom. It's not on social media. It's not on... It's not on, what's the new thing? There's Twitter and then there's this new thing that's out. That uh, another whole new platform of social media. And there's Instagram and all these things. I don't even know what's out there to be honest you guys. But there is no place in everything that all of our, our society has, wor has worked into our culture. There's no place that's going to give you godly wisdom outside two things. And that is the Word of God and the Spirit of God in connection with the Word of God that is going to help you learn the wisdom of God. So right living for evil times is manifesting godly wisdom. The second thing on that list was using our time wisely. The third thing on that list was knowing what God wants for our life. The next thing on that list was be filled with the Spirit. The word filled in that passage simply means that. It means to be filled. Be filled. So that indicates that you can be filled or, or topped off or leveled off or filled to overflowing. I would advocate for you that every single one of you pray every single day that God would you fill me with your spirit. You know, we got a lot of junk that we're battling with. And there's a lot of us that are our own junk. There's a lot of things going on around us that we're having a struggle with. And there's a lot of things that we cause struggle. And so the best thing we can have to resist whatever it may be out there coming against us or resist our own crazy is to be filled with the Spirit. Can somebody help me tonight? 
When you're filled with the Spirit of God, it drives, it drives nasty out of you. It drives crazy out of you. It drives, it drives poor decisions out of you. When you're filled with the Spirit, it doesn't leave room for all of the nonsense of the flesh to take over. Oh, let's, let, let, let. Why don't we just get on the same page and I can quit early? But be filled with the Spirit. And then there is an indication of being filled with the Spirit. Now, you guys that are relatively new, I've used this before. I think pop is kind of like the Pillsbury Doughboy of the Holy Ghost. That if you poke him, you know, y'all remember the Pillsbury Doughboy? Y'all wouldn't have to remember that. You poke him, he giggles. Well, if you poke pop, it's going to be hallelujah. Poke him, oh, glory. He sings, he don't even know what he's singing. It's just a word that's in his heart and it comes out. And uh, he'll just go around. If you'll follow him around, you'll hear him do that. And I love that. But when you're filled with the Spirit, when you're filled with the Spirit, if somebody pokes you, what's going to come out of you? It's going to be glory and glory. Or hallelujah, or this is a day the Lord has made. It's not going to be a whole list of words you don't even need in your heart anyway. When you're filled with the Spirit, Paul says you're going to speak from the fullness of the Spirit. Psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, there's going to be melody in your hearts. You're going to give thanks always for all things in Jesus' name. And then he closed it out with that 21st verse, submitting yourselves one to another. It just simply means submitting ourselves to one another because we have reverence to God. And there again, we're not doing this for ourselves and we're not even doing it for those around us. We're doing it for Him. The word submission just simply means the voluntary giving up of our rights. I got a couple of weddings coming up. And I did one recently. And this is wedding season. You guys know that. When I sit down with couples and I talk to them and I tell them that the number one destructive force in a marriage, what really destroys marriages, is selfishness. Selfishness is what leads to spending that causes chaos in the home. Selfishness is what leads to affairs. Selfishness is what leads to you pulling apart. The pursuit of your own self-interest. Well, submission is the opposite of selfishness because submission is putting their needs ahead of your own. Paul said it like this in Galatians chapter 5 verse 13. Paul says, For brethren, you have been called unto liberty. Only use not liberty for an occasion to the flesh, but by love serve one another. For all the law is fulfilled in one word, even this, that thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. But if we bite and devour one another, take heed that ye be not consumed one of another. And the third and final thing, everybody say serve. The third and final thing is we will be held accountable for our service. Jesus said it. Matthew 7, 20, when he's finishing up that sermon, we call it the Sermon on the Mount. In Matthew 7, 20, wherefore by their fruits you shall know them. 
Not everyone that saith unto me, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven, but he that doeth the will of my Father which is in heaven. Many will say unto me, or say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in thy name, and in thy name we've cast out devils, and in thy name we've done many wonderful works? Then I will profess unto them, I never knew you. Depart from me, ye that work iniquity. The basis is doing the will of God. And the will of God is revealed in the Word of God. And of all of our character words, love, live, serve are character words. And of all of our character words, this could be the most important. Because when you look at the word serve, it's directly connected to the character of Jesus. When you look at the word serve, it's the opposite of pride. It's the antithesis of Satan. And it shows that we have the mind of Christ. And in closing, this is how seriously Jesus takes it. In Matthew 25, 31. When the Son of Man shall come in His glory and all the holy angels with Him, then shall He sit upon the throne of His glory, and before Him shall be gathered all nations, and He shall separate them one from another, as a shepherd divideth his sheep from the goats. And He shall set the sheep on His right hand, but the goats on the left. And then shall the king say unto them on his right hand, Come ye blessed of my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. I was hungry, you gave me meat. I was thirsty, you gave me drink. I was a stranger and you took me in. I was naked and you clothed me. I was sick and you visited me. I was in prison and you came unto me. Then shall the righteous answer him, saying, Lord, when saw we thee hungry and fed you, or thirsty and gave you drink, or when saw... We, you being a stranger, and we took you in or naked and clothed you. Or when did we see you sick or in prison and came unto you? And the king shall answer and say unto them, Verily I say unto you, Inasmuch as you have done it unto the least of these my brethren, you have done it unto me. Then shall he say also unto them on the left hand, Depart from me, you cursed and everlasting fire, preserved for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry. And you gave me no meat. I was thirsty and you gave me no drink. And I was a stranger and you took me not in. I was naked and you didn't clothe me. I was sick and in prison and you didn't visit me. And they're going to answer just like the others. Lord, when did we see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or naked or sick or in prison and we didn't minister to you? And he's going to answer them. Verily I say unto you, inasmuch as you did it not to one of the least of these, you did it not to me. And these shall go away into everlasting punishment, but the righteous into life eternal. Would you stand with me? These are foundational words for our church culture. Love, live, serve. We love God, we love people, we live our faith. We don't just talk it, we serve God by serving others. But love, live, serve are also character words that we should regularly be evaluating ourselves by. How many of you believe that? We should regularly be asking, am I loving God with all my heart, with all my soul, with all my mind? Am I loving my neighbor as myself? Am I living my faith? Am I really living my faith or am I just professing a faith? And am I serving God by serving 
those around me. Would you bow your heads with me and let's pray one for another one more time. Lord, we come to you today. We're just so thankful that you've called us to walk with you. We're so thankful, Lord, that you've given us this blessed privilege of being your disciple. And we pray today that you would help us, Lord. Help us. Help us, Lord, to just have a heart, first of all, to want to do that which is pleasing to you. Help us, Lord, to be that one that you're going to look at and say, come on in to the joy of the Lord. You have done the will of God. I pray, O oh Lord, that you would help us to not just hear your word and go our way unchanged, but you would help us to hear your word, to receive your word, to respond to your word, and your word be lived out in our life. Help us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. God bless you. I love all of you. Pop's got a Bible class at 11 over in the youth room tomorrow. Or 10, I'm sorry. 10 in the youth room tomorrow. He'd love to have you join him. God bless you. Be blessed in Jesus' name. Don't forget Sunday is the dessert auction the ladies are having for Mother's Memorial. God bless you.